Well, hello, Line Podcast listeners. This podcast is late, so is the Dispatch. We were on track for a pretty normal weekend. We recorded the podcast, and Jen and I even talked before it. You know what? There's not that much happening out there. Now, a lot of you, of course, are our national listeners, not in the Toronto media market, so you might not care about the sudden bombshell resignation of Mayor John Tory, but I am a Toronto media journalist, and I had to race off to go handle all that insanity, which felt very familiar, thanks, of course, to the years of Mayor Rob Ford. We do apologize this is late. This podcast will not discuss that because it was simply recorded before. It's a little bit obsolete before we even run it. We acknowledge that. But we did talk about some interesting stuff, so we do hope you enjoy the latest, if somewhat late, episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Jen Gerson, Matt Gurney, same names as always, same podcast, same place, the line. Same names as every other person born in the 80s. Yeah, we were just talking about that. All the Matts and Jennifers, sorry, the mm-hmm. Matthews and Jennifers, and some of us had to self-select into Matts and Jens because there were so many in our class. I was just gurney. Like, there were five Matthews in my grade. The first thing, I, I just feel bad for the Jennies. The oh, but, yeah, no, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's a deep cut, but I know what you mean by that. Um, So we've planned out what we want to talk about today but i also said there's just one more thing i wanted to throw at you but i was tired of talking with you off the air so i said let's just start recording and i'll throw it at you on the air which is uh, which is rare for you to be tired of talking in any circumstance got, on or I, off i got a leaf game starting i gotta yeah you gotta get on with it off. all right so we're gonna keep this short for once um healthcare deal yes. this week okay healthcare deal. i don't know if i have anything at all really to say about the healthcare deal because it's all still so vague and to be determined because there's these bilat- bilateral deals they need But I got two points I want to make about it. One, the amount of money that's new is smaller than I expected because there'd been these rumors floating around for a couple of days that it was going to be about $100 billion over 10 years. When you account for what money was already budgeted under the automatic uh, escalator, it's Mm -hmm. less than half of that. It's $46 billion new dollars. Hey, look, $46 billion here, $46 billion there. Sooner or later, you're talking real money. But $46 billion over 10 years is a lot, but not massive. So, okay, interesting. I, I'm not, I don't think this is going to fix jack shit. That's what, really what it comes down to. Like, you throw billions of dollars at a problem, you'll improve it around the margins. So we'll hire some nurses, we'll buy some MRI machines, maybe we'll even build some facilities. This ain't going to fix anything. The other point I was going to make, you and I have, in recent weeks have been talking at some length about how the liberals are fucked. And they're in a losing streak right now. And earlier this week, um, there was some of the ethics stuff around Mary Ng coming up again and the, the Amanda Olvero stuff. Mm-hmm. Mary Ng has had to sign an agreement pledging she won't break the rules again, which, by the way, I want that to be how I'm disciplined <laughs> from this time forth. If I got yeah. caught breaking the rules, I will pledge to not You're break the rules. Not to not to break the rules. Sweet no breaking deal. the rules for you this time. We mean it. I'm I, OK. I promise to do better this time. Here's the point I want to make, and we can make it concisely. If the liberals were counting on this healthcare deal to be the win that turns things around for them, I don't get the feeling it is. Is there any yeah, because excitement? It's, it's this isn't this isn't a big visionary uh, page turning kind of policy announcement. All it is is ensuring things continue in their status quo, that things remain uh, more or less stable. This is like this is the, this is the baseline, and you're meeting the baseline. Or even slightly exceeding the baseline, but you don't turn around an eight-point poll deficit and months of bad headlines by slightly exceeding baseline. This isn't 
I would have thought maybe there'd be a big swing here. And eh, there isn't. Makes me wonder if there's no money left. There's no money left. And then the other issue is that nobody actually um, has the the cojones to address healthcare at a systemic level. Nobody, nobody will do that. We will, we will, we would rather let the system collapse and people die on mass. Oh yeah. Before we actually address systemic issues. Correct. Yeah. No people, people are going to die because it's awkward to talk about. Yep. Yep. No, that's, 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 terrible. I'm not even being, like neither of us is being sarcastic there. Like we're, this is just literally, that's just how things work here. I saw that poll a few days ago uh, showing the net positives for private delivery of public health care. Sky high. Like in Ontario, um, which is currently going through its own weird thing. So I, the number was probably about as depressed in Ontario as possible because of the recent controversy over uh, the Doug Ford amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, still net positive plus six. So 6% more Ontarians support private delivery of publicly funded health care than oppose it. And in like in every other province, it was way higher. Quebec was like plus forty. Like yeah, this is we not, do it. This, this is, is not the third rail the Laurentian no. consensus insists it is, and yet. And yet. Well, but I mean we we already are doing this. Like we've been doing this in Alberta for a decade and a half, like decades now. Like it's it's I don't even know. It's it, even that's status quo at this point. What we actually need to be doing is really systemic stuff, like frankly, forcing elderly out of hospital environments and into quasi-subsidized long-term living facilities that takes their, you know, overall um, asset classes into consideration when deciding how to, how heavily to subsidize their care. Yeah. Like, like that is the level of radical stuff we need to be doing, or we need to be ensuring that the boomers get additional health insurance so that they can get access to long-term care facilities that are appropriate and well-funded and taking more of the burden of that off the public system. Years ago. It's never going to happen. Years ago, I began poking around with the numbers, and these are just for Ontario. But if Ontario could erase its uh, transfer backlogs, and this is pre-pandemic, I don't, I'm not sure what's happened since, but if Ontario could erase the backlogs of patients awaiting transfer to rehabilitation hospitals, long-term care homes, uh, outpatient or even inpatient mental health care facilities, and also community-based home care, mm-hmm. there would be no hallway medicine. Like the the like. The average burden on the hospitals, in, in as measured in patients, exceeded the average over oversupply of patients in the system. This would be a problem we could fix, but people don't want to talk about home care. Politicians don't want to cut ribbons outside of new long-term care homes. They want to announce new hospitals being built. There's just no political incentive to actually fix the system. And the family health care piece, uh, family physicians, is falling apart. And it's just... I, I've been waiting all week for there to be that moment where it's like, aha, the liberals have this stunning accomplishment. I've been looking at all the usual places where I see the liberals get uh, the praises of the liberals be sung to the high heavens. And it's just not there. I'm seeing moderate praise like, hey, interesting idea. Congratulations, everyone, for reaching the framework of a deal. I don't think this is a loss for the liberals, but I don't think they no. won. No, but there is no winning here. I mean... There's also no money. So, you know, all of those things. So the liberals are going to be stuck between the gun control retreat, the maid retreat, the Amira El-Gawabi situation, now the fighting over the official languages uh, legislation, and how the block forcing the um, uh, notwithstanding clause vote. That's what the problems that was got on the one side. On the other side, they got a whole bunch of investigations coming their way. Right in the middle, they had this shining opportunity to score a win, and they didn't get it. 
Okay. So you want to talk, so that, that that's basically the, the, the totality of my thoughts on that. We'll see what the actual framework they come up with is, but for now, I'm just not seeing a political upside or a practical upside. It's very fact that I'm not, Frankly, I'm not even that particularly keen to talk about the healthcare deal at all. It's just, it's like, I, yes, you are, you are, you are doing your job. You are maintaining your job of sending money to the provinces in order to keep the basic, you know, functions more or less okay. Well More or less, done. relatively speaking. Happy, um, happy, good times, yay. You want, you want to know what does make me happy? What does make you happy? Another ballooned. Yes, this is fun. So just a couple of hours ago before we started filming this, uh, NORAD found another balloon on the edge of uh, North American airspace. It was over Alaskan territory or on the, on the border of Alaskan territory near Canada, but over U.S. T- uh, terrain. And the U.S. took it out. So, now, okay, okay, explain to me this. Firstly, how do we know for sure these aren't just weather balloons? Oh, we don't. It's oh, totally okay. possible that this is like some Macy's Day parade thing that's been in the stratosphere, but now we're alert and we're shooting the shit at anything that comes near us. Okay. I have no idea where this balloon comes from, but I know the Chinese better be going, yikes. How do we know the last one wasn't just a, just a weather balloon? Oh, Could it the last one just have been a weather balloon? In the sense that the guy in the creepy white van parked in front of your house, staring into your bedroom window with a telescope, could be bird watching. Is Not it just, really. It's just too much sensor equipment in there. It, it's it's an awful lot of sensor equipment to be hovering directly over a Minuteman missile field to be plausible as a weather balloon. Now okay. the second the, the second one could be some scientific experiment that got loose and drifted but now we're looking for this stuff so we took it out just to send a message but the first you know the first one was a spook balloon for sure okay so what exactly is the logic as far as the you know natsec nerds go of china sending a spook balloon like what what was the value add for china two things aside from the actual images themselves uh, not even images, apparently. Uh, according to reports, the main ability of the balloon was uh, monitoring uh, local communications. So you park that fucker right over a Minuteman missile field, and then you listen into the chatter. Interesting. Um, but I would honestly say more than anything else, it's political messaging. That's the thing I don't understand. I don't understand what the value is in this from a political perspective from China. Okay, I understand why they would want to monitor, monitor communications from an espionage point of view. So podcast like, listeners... Surely they had to have known that this was going to get caught. Podcast listeners are going to be uh, somewhat robbed here because let me, I'm going to demonstrate visually what the political value of this balloon is. Are you ready for it? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. For podcast listeners, I just gave Jenna, I mean, not wasn't giving Jenna, I was demonstrating to Jenna gigantic enthusiasm. Yeah. And this, and you were metaphorically, I was metaphorically, I was the US and you were China. Yeah. And I was China and. Boom. Oop, and now then I went, sensitive. boom, yeah. I shot you back with my big fancy jets. Yep. Right. So it, it's a political message. Um, tensions between the United States and China have been ratcheting up for a while. The, the U.S. has been drawing closer with allies in the Pacific region. China goes, fuck you. We send balloons. One of the things I think interesting about this, and this is purely speculative, and I want everybody to know I'm speculating here. We have heard that these things had previously transited North American airspace without us knowing it, that we had to kind of go backward and realize that they'd snuck a couple of these things through. They were actually a couple during the Trump administration that I happen to know of. Yes. Yeah, which was funny for political reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, China got away with something. They kept doing it. 
And along the way, not only have they probably been giggling at the silly imperialists, but they've also been revealing failures in the North American air defenses. Why hmm. did these balloons get through without us knowing them? That's not good. So because we just weren't looking for them. I guess. But... Or we we were aware of them, but just chose not to act on it. Mm, according to the reports, we did not know they were here. The the previous ones. Hmm. So, I mean, the idea of NORAD is that it's the stuff you're not looking for that's going to kill you. So, gigantic balloon drifting slowly across North America probably should have gotten noticed. There could be technical reasons. First of all, the balloons have been coming in from the west. Most NORAD defenses face north. Um, the other possibility, of course, is a lot of the time uh, radar sets can be, uh, with programming, can be filtered to ignore objects moving below a certain speed so that we don't start wars over flocks of geese. Maybe these things were just drifting too slowly. They might have been below the detection value of um of how we are configuring our defenses. I repeat again, that's completely speculative. And if anyone else knows, by all means, tell me. But somewhere along the way, the U.S. realized this was happening. And now they're looking for them. So even if this second one that just got zapped on Friday is a stray weather balloon from Finland or something, it's a message the U.S. is sending to China, right? We're watching now and we will destroy these things on site. So... I, I honestly, this story is a combination of high stakes geopolitical intrigue and shooting balloons, which it's, is perfect for you. This is this is so up your alley. It's not even funny. But it's it's like the high end intellectual stuff combined with the absurdity of a gigantic a white balloon. ball floating over Montana. Like, yeah, I love it. This well, is that's also what made the the, the balloon be a genius in the first place, right? It's, it's well, smart espionage. Well, it's, it's also blunt. a smart middle they finger. They should have drunk big penis on it. Uh, well, one one of the things that we, people were joking that the U.S. should have done is they should have just shot lasers with propaganda at it. So turn it into like mm -hmm. a giant billboard that floats over the United States and goes, China sucks. And we all laugh. The videos out of the Carolinas of the people cheering when this balloon got brought down. Bet, best story of the year. 10 out of 10. We should do another mug this year with the balloon. Ooh. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Um. So I'll do. I'll do a little. Uh. Balloon. Anything medley. on the balloons? I like the balloons. Um. I want to write about uh this interview that uh CBC President Catherine Tate gave to the Globe and Mail, where she firstly made two comments, which set uh, uh phones ablaze. The first was that she noted that eventually CBC will probably go to all digital streaming, but not imme immediately. I don't think there's a lot of there there. I think by the time the CBC goes to all digital streaming, we'll all be digital anyway, and traditional radios and TVs will have been abandoned by that point. So, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a... The CBC is going to slowly follow where the technology leads is not actually the lead that anybody thinks it is, but whatever. The second one is more interesting to me, and that was where she actually took pot shots at Polyev by by name, I believe, um, which is interesting to me because it's really dumb. If you are the president so of the dumb. CBC, you should never mention Polyev's name, Trudeau's name, Singh's name. Your job is to understand the broader political culture in which you are in and to make sure you don't get yourself embroiled into partisan political fights that will wind up with you getting your mon your fucking government money pulled. Don't be dumb. Like, it's just, I just, this this goes back a little bit to what, to the Alberta Daniel Smith fight because it's the same sort of problem. The CBC assuming that it has so much credibility and so much trust among the Canadian public at large 
that it can make stupid decisions. And in fact, the opposite is true. Its credibility among a significant portion of the public is absolutely zero. And every time, you know, it makes an error, and I do think this is a political error, um, it just reinforces what the conservatives have long been saying. So conservatives are going to fundraise against this as they absolutely already have. Every time that the CBC decides to play chess, partisan chess, they're going to find themselves outmaneuvered because they are poorly equipped to do the type of political strategy that would be required of them. And this is just utterly indicative of this. And I, I don't know how, how Catherine Tate is managing the internal stuff at CBC. Uh, let's op- let's operate under the assumption that she's managing that great. She's super, doing super a super competent job on the inside. Part of her job is public facing and part, but part of her job is also to be able to, like I said, navigate the broader political waters. And for her to be picking partisan fights like this is so dumb. It's so dumb. I just don't, I don't, she, she should be completely above that. She should not be engaged in that. She should be like, our role is to serve all Canadians and we will do what possible to ensure that the conservative of, um, b- of voters within Canada are just as well served as the liberal and NDP voters because, you know, we're all one Canada. Like she should be giving absolutely benign nostrums of that nature. That That is her job. And instead she's like, oh, we're getting pot shots by Pierre Polyev. I'm like, firstly, nobody cares about your whining. Nobody cares about your whining. And secondly, you're giving these people exactly what they want. And they're better at this game than you. So what what are you doing? Why are you being this dumb? It's just so stupid. I can't even wrap my head around it. I have a theory. Okay. For, first of all, let me say agree entirely. Yeah. 100% agreement. You and I have written before. Uh, we sent an explicit message to our friends in the media, which apparently did not reach the level no, of No, apparently Catherine this Tate. memo did not uh, did not. Get, get around. We said avoid fights with the conservatives because they're going to yeah. pick them and they're going to monetize them and they're going to use them against you and they're better at it than we are. Yep. Um, oh, okay. Well, okay. Catherine Tate uh, either was not aware of or chose not to heed that advice, but I do have a theory why, and you've already <laughs> touched on it. Mm-hmm. You said a minute ago, assume she's managing everything for, for sake of argument. She's managing everything internally brilliantly. She's managing internally when she does this. This is... Mm. This is her making an error, but I bet you the error is born of the people at CBC and Radio Canada need to see their, what is she, president, CEO? I forget what her title is, but whatever it is, they need to see their Catherine Tate out there standing up for the organization and uh, talking back against those who attack our, I, it's the wrong play, but I bet you that's where it comes from. Um, But wouldn't that suggest that her own internal position is potentially threatened? And that this is a play. Or, or she's indignant. Well, fair enough. Yeah, like she's I get indignant pissed all off. the time. And this is why I always come to you before I send out my indignant email responses. You're getting you calm me down. <laughs> and remind me that we're the adults in the room now and I have to act like it. Fair, fair enough. But um, it's not, this is not the adult move. This is um, not the adult move. I have had the experience before of being in a management role where a bad man was saying bad things about my people for bad reasons. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a coward and I felt gutless and I felt like I was letting my team down when I did not respond in public. Mm-hmm. But my Vulcan brain overrode my human emotions and reminded me about that old saying about what happens when you get into the mud to fight with the pigs. 
you get covered in shit and the pig enjoys it. Yeah, and that's what's happening here. Yeah. So I so I, I went I went home, counted to ten, took deep breaths, threw stuff, and never said anything. And I communicated privately with the people who were being targeted. And I said, nothing would please me more than to get into this in public, but I'm not going to. And here's why I'm not going to. First of all, won't help me. Second of all, won't help the company. Most important, won't help you. Won't help you. It will not help you for me to engage publicly on this. No. And that was really hard. Yep. And I I have to assume that's what Tate is doing here. I don't think she should have, but I can maybe understand why she felt like I can empathize. Should've. I can empathize with it as a human and a non-Vulcan. But this is this is this is this is bad political strategy that the CBC is playing here. They're, they're, you, y'all aren't good at chess. Let's just put it well, that way. No, you're not. Uh, they're not. Um, we should probably insert the mandatory disclosure here that you and I do occasionally do panels on the CBC. Oh yes, that that would never that would never checks. stop me from giving them shit when I think. No, no, no. This is worth mentioning because we'll get killed if we don't. Um, Fair enough. I think there is a a broader and more interesting conversation here though. Um, I don't know what the CBC does in, I don't know what the right move is here for the CBC. And I I think it's easy for us to say, and I think we're right to say that what Tate did was wrong, Mm -hmm. but how does a public broadcaster that operates a large, well, two large news divisions in two languages, how does it, cover fairly a guy who is campaigning to disband you that is a really interesting firstly don't give him ammunition yeah i don't know just a thought like the the only way you respond to that honestly is you say we respect his political opinion and as a as a as a political leader he's got the right to make campaign on our disbandment on our disbanding as he sees fit, you know, um, but that is, there's a process for that. And in the meantime, we're going to fulfill our mandate as professionally as possible. Like that's, that that's your only play. It's your only move. It's just to demonstrate to Canadians, your value and worth and that you're um, above the political fray and, and, and are a worthwhile and trustworthy organization. The problem is that I don't think that the CBC has always um, been that. And how shall I say this? The distrust that people have for the CBC is not solely rooted in the mean things conservatives have said about them. And 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 if that's the delusion that they're telling themselves, then they're in deeper shit than they, than they realize. Like the distrust that I think a lot of people have in the CBC is rooted in a lot of the stuff that's come out of the CBC and has happened internally that people know about in the CBC. A lot of it is opportunistic and, and overblown, absolutely. A lot of it is rooted in sort of an ignorance of media culture and all the rest, absolutely. Um, but some of it isn't. And and I think that a, an organization that can't confront that and look it in the face and say, okay, what what has shifted in the last 10 years? Why do people have a fairly low opinion of us or low trust in us? Is there some Is there something we could be doing better? You know, I think in every media organization should be doing this, should be asking themselves, you know, Matt, are there things that we could be doing better here at the line? I mean, yeah, of course there are. Of course no. there are. Shut up. Anyway, like, 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 like you can't operate on the assumption that everything everyone means says about you is 
um, partisan and unjustified and 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 attack and 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 you know um, disingenuous or in bad faith. Some of it is. Some of it can be dismissed. Some of it is opportunistic. But you know there has to be a there there for people to latch onto it. Canadian media in recent generations, I think, uh, for largely economic reasons that we've talked about, has become over-concentrated in very small parts of the country. Yeah. Probably over-concentrated among very few kinds of people yep. who share, broadly speaking, a worldview. Uh, and I think there is a disconnect between Canadian media writ large and the Canadian public writ large that the Canadian media does not always understand or appreciate. And believe it doesn't try to understand or appreciate, right? Like doesn't attempt to. It's hard to empathize when you're being screamed at by 900 people on Twitter. Of course. It's, I think it's, I think to an extent that we don't believe me, I can relate. I think it's melted the brains and the ability to, to listen. You know, when, when a thousand people are screaming absolute bullshit nonsense at you, the one of them that has kind of a fair point gets drowned out. Yeah. And that's the problem. And this is also part of the reason why people need to get the hell off Twitter. It's it's just it's just bad. It's bad for your perspective and it's bad for your critical judgment. It skews all your readings. Yeah. I, I'll, uh, yeah. You know what? I'll say this though. I like I said, it's it's interesting. Like this is a genuine thing. What we said a few minutes ago, the conservatives are better at this. They've got the CBC in a corner. Like this yep. is they've yep. got them, they and they're not going to let go. No. Nope. I also think Polyev means it. I, yeah, I think like yeah. other previous conservative leaders might have beat the war drum a little bit on the cbc but when polyev comes out and goes no i want to defund it i don't think he's kidding no no now, there might... like, so i disagree with polyev i don't think that defunding is the correct answer for reasons that i've written about before and i would go Rich. into in great depth again i don't think that defunding is the correct answer here i do think that you would find shockingly broad res- support for a serious mandate review I do think you'd find shockingly broad support for doing things like splitting up the entertainment from the news functions. I do think you'd find shockingly high support for redirecting resources to certain underutilized or undervalued um, sections of the, of the organization, like like radio, um, uh, certain certain local televisions. Like you know, what I mean, like I do think there's that there's some serious changes the CBC could consider and make and make itself a better, more useful product to Canadians as a whole in the, in the process. I do think that, you know, the the recent, for lack of a better term, challenging of the JSP, their journalistic standards and product practices, the assumption that any notion of fair journalism is you know, racist is, is an absolute suicidal move on the part of the CBC. I, I think that, that there's nothing that will alienate you faster than to embrace that kind of an ideology. Um, and I, you know, the cbc can't be an activist organization because it's taxpayer funded it's just what it is like if you i've got nothing against taxpayer or sorry i've got nothing against activist journalism but you can't be an activist journalist when you're sucking off from the teat of the general population it's just it's it's not it's not gonna work i have a very serious i have comments to make but i have a very serious question why in that context do we pronounce it teat is it not teat it is. It, but why is it teat in that context, but not others? Is it just old? It's tit is T-I-T and teat is T-E-T. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't know why. Because we're talking about the same thing. Breasts. Yeah. Yeah. And also, so I don't, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. One of the listeners will know and they'll let us know. Yeah. Agree with you entirely. I think one of the problems I've had with the CBC as, and I'm, this is a guy who cashes CBC checks occasionally. 
and likes the CBC and likes the people who work there. And I'm glad we have them, especially. Yeah, they're crucial. I do not want the CBC defunded. Me neither. Um, And not just for my own personal, like economic reasons. I think for reasons we'll get into shortly. It would be bad for the country to have the CBC defunded. But I also think there's this weird habit of the CBC basically being, instead of going, where can we put our energy and our resources that there is no coverage on currently? They're like, how many anchors should our little watched evening show have? Yeah, it's it's a it's mandate creep problem. The fundamental issue that the CBC deals with isn't ideological; it's actually mandate creep. They 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 don't focus their resources to how can we be most most useful and most of service. Yeah, instead, do the most they, good. Yeah, instead they think, well, how can we do everything? So I've been hosting radio shows in one form or another for a decade, and the most staff I've ever had has been a producer. A technical operator, the person actually working the mixing boards, worried about the technical stuff, a producer who worries about the content, and occasionally the luxury of an intern. Mm -hmm. I have a specific memory of being on a CBC show for for like a radio hit. Yeah. Had six producers. Yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, they're putting out a better product than I am. It's more polished, it's research more in depth, probably harder hitting journalism. But not 600%. Like you're not, sure. at a certain point, you hit diminishing returns. Well, and then the other problem you hit is like, I'm sorry, but I listen to the CBC quite religiously. There's some shows that I really, really like. And everything that I don't like is, please listen to my sob story. Have you heard this sob story about the single mom who's going to the food bank and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's just like, I can only process so many individual goddamn sob stories. I'm not talking about the news section. I'm talking about just like being between the news. It's so goddamn much personal journalism, individual sob story about something, you know, like some historic injustice. I I, I can't deal with that much. Like I, I routinely am going to switching on to QR 107, which is the Calgary local talk radio and finding more interesting talk radio than when I go to the CBC. Routinely. Not as slickly produced because they slickly only have produced. one producer. More likely to be to have little cock-ups and errors, yeah. but more interesting hosts talking about things that are actually applicable to me and not fixated on the sob story of the week. When I think of those six producers, and I think of, of which four of them I could have loaned, and I think about the amount of money that has been spent failing to successfully reinvent the national in recent years. And I think about how many re- reporters you could have put in yeah. city halls and mid-sized city markets, halls and medicine hat and, yeah. you know, Vauxhall and where there are absolute news deserts in this country. 100%. Yeah. And even uh, I've never, I've never been able to firm this up to the extent that I'd like, but I remember telling you a few weeks ago uh, in Toronto there was a really fucking weird incident overnight. With hindsight, actually, maybe I should have flagged that as being kind of one of the first what the fuck is happening in Toronto incidents. But mm-hmm. it was a guy shooting at cops from inside a building. And it happened like 11 o'clock at night. And I was going to bed. And I saw on Twitter, like, a Toronto police statement, like, please avoid the area because there's some guy taking pot shots at our officers. And it took hours for them to bring in, like, a, a SWAT team to to deal with the guy. I think they got him to surrender. And I was hopping, I was like, 
channel surfing because before just before bed and i'm looking at all the local news stations or even the the local network stations where they could do a breaking news interruption and there was nothing yeah and then eventually all the twitter accounts of the local news organizations basically like did a quote retweet of the toronto police retweet it's like police report gunfire yeah. and and i remember i spent a couple of days after that poking around and going i remember being a kid if someone was shooting at police officers there would have been a news helicopter hovering over the scene. There would have been satellite trucks all around it. And the answer basically is that in Toronto, the urban center of a metropolitan area of 8 million people, most of the news departments are not staffed overnight. Which is crazy. Like They, I would, might, they know, have someone on call and there's probably someone they can ring. If, if they have somebody, to. Yeah. But there's nobody, but there's no, here's the thing. I used to work the radio room in the Toronto Star program, which is now gone. And one of your shifts would be the midnight to 8 a.m. shift. Yeah. So there was always someone physically in that newsroom listening to the police scanners who could pick up the on-call editor if anything major happened. There was like 24-7, there was always someone there who could do something. There, w- I've, I figured out later that um, there might be pooled coverage of camera people or photographers working overnight shifts. And they're the ones mm-hmm. who get the B-roll of the car crash on the 401 that disrupted your morning commute. And things like that. But there, I have had the pleasure of talking to older journalists, some of them now approaching retirement or who have left the uh, the, um, uh, the industry, who have stories of being the night shift guys on in Toronto. And we think it used to be. At those old gutsy news stations, City TV, CFTO, Global Toronto who had to go to all the terrible two killed in diner shootout stories and they all know each other. And then you run into him at a, at some event and it's all just back slaps and stories about the time we were covering that fire or something. It doesn't exist anymore. Nope. It's just gone. Just and gone. again, I think I, I got, I wandered a little off the track there, but like that's the state of journalism in Canada. There are not enough staff in Toronto to staff up overnight, even like a minimal presence, unless yeah, was, like, I bet you this a plane was a crashes too, in eh? the city. Like that—that that was a weeknight, weeknight, right? I don't remember specifically, but I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't like Christmas Eve or anything. It was in, probably in the in the in the fall. Yeah, I'm just saying. I, I bet you the, uh, the the weekend shifts are more likely to be staffed overnight. Is what I would suggest. What I would suggest. But anyway, this is all sideline. Anyway, point I just want to make is it's a little dispatchable. Tate, you can't. You just can't. I get it, but you just can't. So anyway. second week in a row giving media executives advice to shut up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is this is what we live for now, apparently. So we'll we'll talk a minute longer about media, and uh, we're going to be careful when we say this because the developments on this story have been moving really, really quickly. But yes. um, the Toronto Star was owned by two men. Um, I think it's uh, Paul uh, Paul Rivet and uh, Rivet and Bidov. I don't remember their first names. I always forget their first names. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, in any case, uh, they recently had a falling out in their business relationship, and with the help of an arbitrator, they split the business assets in half. Uh, the Torstar divorce. Two of the properties that left Torstar were iPolitics, which I'm a subscriber to. I value their journalism, and uh, the QP briefing, uh, Queens Park briefing. They cover mm-hmm. um, provincial politics in Ontario. Something is up, and we're being vague because the story is developing really, really quickly. Uh, but the editor in chief of 
both of those outlets, it was a, it was a joint operation, has resigned in protest of journalistic interference this week. Other, at least one other reporter has resigned for the same reason, and a series of staff have been let go. There are reports now that there was a story that was unflattering to uh, Doug Ford, and that there was the story was uh, was either delayed or killed or held. Uh, I'm being vague here, so lawyers leave me alone. Well, and also we don't know if this that story is going to appear in a paper tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's rumors flying around that it involved the story. And there's even though there's been published reports so far, uh, the Toronto Star mm-hmm. does have a version of of this story. Uh, but there's been a lot of developments over the course of the day, and I haven't checked in the last hour and a half, so I don't yeah. want to be behind it. I don't know if I have anything particularly interesting to say about this specific thing, but as a follow-up to what we were talking about last week, which was uh, problems at Post Media, to now be talking about this you know that old saying, right? Slowly and then all at once. Yep. Is 2023 going to be the year uh, the bottom falls out of the Canadian media? Well, and then the actual question is, is this going to be the year that we get our first major bankruptcy? I don't recall this specifically, but I think Post Media emerged from creditor protection uh out of can west and this was a long mm-hmm. time ago now i yep. think i think can west was bankrupt and then restructured itself and that's when post media got spun out yeah but so it wouldn't be the first but yeah i wouldn't be shocked no. to see a bankruptcy this year interesting question so anyway i'm going to think i'm going to write about ipolitics the qp briefing stuff um but you i think wanna, you want to take that one yeah, I'll take that one. But you know what? Let's hold off and let's make sure let's let's give that till tomorrow. Let's not file this particular dispatch till tomorrow because I I do think that this one's moving so quickly we could have more details in the next couple of hours. Fair enough. Uh, and what's the, the last one? Let's do real quickly the last one because I think we're going over time. Uh, what I'm gonna say simply this. Um, I'm I'm gonna want to go check this. Uh, similar situation. I want to make sure I'm fully current on this. But I'm sure you've been watching this week the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. Uh-oh. I don't have any wisdom to offer it's tragic it's brutal it's awful it's an earthquake it's just yeah. there's no senseless bad things there's there's no real commentary angle or analysis angle on a terrible natural disaster except canada talking a few days ago yeah we're looking into whether or not we should send dart uh the disaster assistance response team that we have sent abroad after natural disasters before dart is a self-contained military unit has uh, communications capabilities, engineering capabilities, medical capabilities, and uh, its own internal security, like a, a group of infantry to, to guard the unit itself. And Canada, was, oh yeah, we're, we're looking at it, we're looking at it, we're talking about it. And I think it was the Turkish ambassador to Canada today, on Friday, said, too late, anyone you could have rescued is dead. And Good job, everyone, well done. You know, there were there are Canadian teams there. Canadian municipalities were able to dispatch their heavy urban search and rescue teams and get them on the ground. I spoke on my radio show today with Jackson Proskow of Global News, who was mm-hmm. there. He He's the Washington bureau chief, but he got his ass over to Turkey. And he said he ran into a Canadian rescue team from British Columbia. But they're a municipal team who hmm. got over there and began saving lives while the Canadian went. government was reviewing the status of, of DART. Okay. Say it with me. Deliverology. Deliverology. When when hours count, the Canadian government is weeks away from a decision. 
That's all I got. All right. Well, let's put it there. I'll do uh, the, the Catherine Tate stuff, the iPolitics stuff. You take on balloon. Balloon turkey. and turkey. I think we got a few other things that are. Oh, do you want to say anything on healthcare? Maybe I'll just do a little. I don't really care about healthcare. Feels like story of the week in a way. Um, yeah. I'll see if I can come up with anything remotely interesting. Hmm? I'll see if I can. I think the political angle might be interesting. The, the details of the, the deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got a few more things coming in. That's all I got. Okay. Right. So do you want to hold, uh, here we're totally breaking the fourth wall. When do you want me to publish the podcast? Oh, publish the podcast now, but, uh, yeah, but Friday. Then, and then, uh, and then we'll, yeah, we'll do the dispatch back. Saturday. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks, Jen. See, what did I tell you? Nothing about Toronto municipal politics, although we cannot promise you there will not be some of that later. Certainly in the written dispatch, which will be coming out now on Sunday as we react to a pretty wild weekend in the news. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you have a great remainder of the weekend. This has been the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast.